Hey, burned out creatives. Did you know that the fastest way to reach your dreams is to move toward them with consistency, slay your demons of self-doubt, and keep moving toward that horizon? In other words, you have to run like hell toward happy. I'm your host, Caitlin Liz Fisher, and I am here to uplift stories of creativity, small and large, stories about passion, helpful advice to break down those barriers, that self-doubt, to kick imposter syndrome in the face, because the world needs you. The world needs your creativity. The world needs your passion. The world needs more of us hurtling toward the things that bring us joy and make us happy because that's what being human is about. All right, everyone, welcome back to Run Like Hell Toward Happy, the podcast where we unlearn the hustle and embrace our passions. And today we are coming, talking about people pleasing and how to stop doing it and how do you let go of wanting everyone to like you. And for this delightful topic, I'm bringing in Beth Koritz, a best-selling author, licensed professional counselor, and intuitive clarity coach. Her passion is helping people create their dream life in alignment with the authentic self and purpose. After a lifetime of entrepreneurship, Beth came to her own realization that the checklist lifestyle she had been living was not a true representation of her authentic self. Same, giant, same, big, same. (laughs) And at the age of 48, she did her own work to claim her purpose and break through the fears and excuses that were getting in her way. That's when Beth returned to school, got her master's degree in counseling. And after years of serving hundreds of clients in private practice, she knew she had to find a way to support more people on a larger scale. That's when the Authenticity Academy was born, offering group and one-on-one clarity coaching. Now, Beth combines her expertise as a licensed therapist, certified in body positive psychology and thought field therapy with the insights she gained on her own personal journey to help hundreds of people live life in alignment with who they were meant to be. What a write-up. Yeah, that sounded pretty good. (laughs) Yeah, that did sound pretty good. So hi, Beth. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So something I I have to touch on before we get into the people pleasing thing is that before we started recording, you told me that you hated writing (laughs) and as a best-selling author, I gotta, I gotta hear more. So why did you write a book if you did not enjoy writing it? Well, for years, so I have let, I have lived an insane kind of life. Not that I've had all these like hundreds of crazy adventures and stories, but I've had many health things and so many, so many things that are crazy, like having two diseases at the same time that you're not supposed to be able to have both at the same time. Um, It's supposed to be impossible. So yeah, right. So, um, you know, paralyzed from the shoulders down and have to learn it all again. I broke my back, like, wow oh yeah we're still doing my broken back therapy when I was diagnosed with breast cancer it's like it's insane so people have always been like you have to write a book you have to write a book and I've always been like why is anybody gonna care why is anybody care (laughs) about my stories but then I realized that I could combine my stories with my um therapeutic practice therapeutic um you know journey that I take my clients through and the book could be a teaching and learning experience at the same time then I was okay with it you know people really could get something out of it more than just reading some strangers stories even though they're great stories um so I decided to write a book not gonna lie I got some help right? I got some help from a writer who I, we sat together for probably 40 hours and I had just told the stories of my life, right? She put it together into some semblance and then I took it and, you know, wrote it, fill, you know, embellished, did all that. Connected the dots. Connected the dots. Then I hired a professional editor Mm -hmm. And it was working with her 
um, we were in her office. I flew to Denver to work with her and we're in her office and she was like, explain, I don't understand like this system that you take people through. And I started writing it out on this big piece of paper, like kind of a mind map mm -hmm. for her to help her understand. And then I was like, oh my God, there's a coaching program here. <laughs> like I had written the whole outline while trying to explain this to her. And that is where the Authenticity Academy came from. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So tell me a little about the Authenticity Academy and this, this mind map thing, because I love chaos and this sounds like chaos turned into a really cool thing for you. Well, so, you know, also before we went live, um, we were talking about ADHD. Yes, we sure were. And, right. How being neurodivergent, we, I just don't think like everybody else and you probably don't either, I would assume. Right. Correct. Um, yeah. So, and when something excites me, I'm go full bore, right. We all do that. I think just full fucking bore, like get out of our way. <laughs> yeah. We're going to steamroll you right through. Right. Um, so seeing, I kind of forgot the original question. Thinking, what's, what's the authenticity Academy and yeah. the, <laughs> sorry. So I have a process for being, living your authentic life because if I, what I found in my therapy practice is if I ask my clients to tell me about who they are, tell me about yourself. And they'd all say, you know, whatever, I'm a mom, I have three kids, I volunteer at this, and I, I have a part-time job at that, or I work here. And I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't tell me anything about who you are. That's all about what you do. Yeah. I want to know about who you are. And I'm not exaggerating when I say 99% of my clients just stop and some tear up and they hesitate and they say, I have no idea. I yeah. don't even know how to answer that question. Right. So you can't start living your authentic life until you know who you are. So that's step one. You know, you have to learn about who you are. I say at a soul level, right? These are the, the things that are a part of you and they don't change as your life changes. They are who you came into this world being, right? So it's, and I also say they're adjectives, write me a list. I want you to start with like, I try and get them to do like 25. And they're like, 25, I can't even come up with five. So I'll work with them for a little bit on a few, but they're adjectives. If it's a noun, it's a verb, it doesn't go on the list. So I can't say writer. I can't say a writer's who I am. No, that's what you do. <gasps> but I love it. Yeah. Cause it's what you love, what you do. <laughs> ooh, uh, ooh, 25 adjectives is hard, Beth. It's not once you get rolling. Okay. Okay. Can you give me five? I'm generous. Mm -hmm. I am loving. Mm -hmm. I am compassionate. Mm -hmm. These are all hitting me as things that benefit other people around me. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Okay, great. I'm funny. Mm -hmm. And I'm adorable. There you go. That wasn't so hard. Yeah. All right. That wasn't so hard. Right? Yeah. So if, if somebody, oh, and then the next question always is, well, do you mean good and bad qualities? And I, I initially chuckle because to me, the very definition of quality, I believe is good. But if you come up with something not so good, I still want you to write it down because then we're going to go over it together. You might have it on the not so good side because the patriarchy has told you it's not good coming from a female presenting person, mm -hmm. right? If you were a man, would it be on the good side? Obviously, I deal mostly with women. Yeah. So man, that, you know, that column. assertive 
versus bitchy. Exactly. Exactly. Oh. Um, uh huh. This is delicious, and this leads us right into people pleasing. It does. It does. So, so first we have to get them to see it as good, or work on changing it, because we do all have some not some characteristics that we don't love about our, you know. Mm-hmm. Um. So people pleasing. Okay, you still have to go through this system in order to not people please. And here's why. If you, in order to feel good about yourself, like really about who you are, not about how you look, not about the crowd you hang out with, but to feel good about who you are in a bubble, you have to really know who you are, right? Mm -hmm. So after knowing, now I work with you on feeling good about that person, right? Because you maybe aren't, look, if you read that list, if a friend gave you that list or a stranger, wouldn't you assume they're a good person? Yeah. Why don't you see yourself as a good person? Right? Yeah. So we work a lot on that. Now, once you like who you are and you see yourself as a good person, only then can you really stop people pleasing because you now can get all the validation you need internally. Mm-hmm. As long as you need external validation, you will people please to get it. Interesting. Yeah. It's yeah. a pretty simple equation, right? Yeah. Like external validation feels good. It's nice. For sure. When people are proud of me or people say like, wow, you do really great work. Like, I love that. I love a testimonial. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when that, when that is the driving force, when I'm like, well, I coach people because then they tell me I'm a good coach. That's not, that's not really what helpful. If you're in a group, what if you're in a social situation and you feel insecure? And you need to hear something nice from somebody in order to feel secure. Yeah. Then you do nice things. Right. That's external validation. Instead of, you know, if you go to, let's say you go to a party by yourself and you're feeling insecure. Right. But if you know that you're a good person, you're a fun person, right? You, your um, presence improves yeah room right whether people talk to you or not right it's so much less uncomfortable because you have that validation from yourself right you're not you're not freaking out at this party because you need someone to tell you that you're welcome there like you walk in like you know you're welcome there you're at this party this is a cool party right and if you're sitting by yourself Like I'll go anywhere by myself because, and I will sit alone. I will be at a party. And if I want to sit alone in the corner and watch what's going on, I will do that. Mm -hmm. Right. And not worry about what somebody thinks because I'm alone. Yeah. Like if they think I'm the loser in the corner, I don't care. I know I'm not a loser. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like this. That's very good. Like being content with who you are just down to your core Mm -hmm. means like you don't have to go double check that you're a good person with other people right I like it that's powerful yeah and it's not that hard I mean sure sometimes there's trauma especially childhood trauma that stops people there right um And that has to be worked through. And that's why I think it's a good thing that I'm a licensed therapist. Definitely. You know, I I will say, I'm going to just put it out there. My pet peeve is people who call themselves coaches who have no like business coaching on mental health issues like trauma, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, I always make sure to say like, when I speak about trauma, I am telling you, like, as someone who has worked through their trauma, like myself and like things that I have read and stuff, but I am not a clinician. Like I can't diagnose or treat. I can just 
tell you what has worked for me and recommend books and therapy and, and all that sort of stuff. So right. yeah, I want to be a safe place for people to like share trauma, but at the same time, I'm like, this isn't therapy. I'm not licensed to help you heal right. trauma, but like I can help you write a book. <laughs> Right. And probably if you referred them to a therapist, your work with them would go much faster if they were also getting therapy. I once back in the day when I was starting this, you know, eight years ago when personal networking was still a thing, you know, I think the pandemic just destroyed that. But I met with a coach. I met and went to meet her for coffee because I was thinking coaches would be great um, referrals for my, me as a therapist. And I said, you know, do you have a therapist you work with that you refer your anxiety cases to, you know, um, anxiety, depression, that, and she said, oh, no, I know EFT, so I can do all those things. Oh boy. And I was like, no. that's so funny yeah. because I'm like the opposite. I'm like, should I go to grad school and get a counseling degree? So well, that's that I... what happened, right? What, what I don't talk about a lot is right before I went to school, I was doing business development coaching. And I realized that the people I was working with had these fears and blocks that to really help them, I needed a real education to help them get through that, you know? And so that is inevitable, uh, in the end, what got me that last push into school for my master's in counseling. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So you have a master's, no PhD, just master's. No, I, d- I didn't go for the doctorate because I'd still be doing the same job for the same money. Yeah. PhDs I are hard. Another $60,000 in debt and yeah, four years before I could start. I mean, I didn't start till I was 50. So I didn't really want to put another two years into school that wouldn't make a difference in my career. So yeah. I love that. I also love that you made this huge pivot at 50. Yeah. Let's talk about that because so many people, first of all, I, so I'm 34 and I have some people in my orbit who are like just turning 30 and the way that like society acts like your life better be on a trajectory by 30 or else is hilarious to me because who my five-year plan when I was 25 did not happen. And I'm so glad it didn't like 30 is still like, it's, it's when you barely start not giving a fuck what other people think. Honestly, I think I'm like, life starts at 30 for me. Like my thirties have been great so far. And so I love that you at 50 were like, nope, something new, something different got to follow that passion, got to follow that purpose, that authenticity. So that is gorgeous to me. I love seeing that. So what, just from like a coaching perspective, what were some of the fears and thoughts that came up? Did you have a lot of fears? This is a good story. And it's in my book because this was really, I've had a few, like, I don't even lightning strikes. You know, one of the first lightning strikes was when I was on life support, when I had gambare and was paralyzed from the shoulders down, right? Um, Because all you have time to do on life support is think. They don't turn on a TV for you or anything. You're stuck in your own mind for 24-7. And then the next one or another one was this. So I was looking for work. I had just gone through a bankruptcy. Because I had been building with a partner, um, like million dollar homes. And this was in 2008 and the real estate, the market crashed, right? And we yeah. went through. So my bank called in everything before it was due and it they threw me into bankruptcy, which was for me, the hardest thing I've ever gone through. And I've gone through some really hard things. Right? Like compared to being like your whole body paralyzed you're like no bankruptcy was worse so that it was worse it really was because it was like a failure yeah you know I saw it as a failure now bigger richer smarter builders went down too right everybody went down yeah but it it really 
it hit. So anyway, I'm looking for, I'm trying to decide what I'm going to do next. And um, a friend, I never pass up any opportunities. And I was on Facebook and a friend posted, hey, I'm going to this dream university all day long retreat. Um, with every ticket, I bought a ticket, I get to bring a friend for free. I was like, me, 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 I'll go, right? I mean, I immediately, but I didn't even know what it was. Like, is it dreams that we have for our life or is it dreams in our sleep? Like what were, are we going to be analyzing our dreams? I showed up still with no idea, I love but it. I knew a lot of people in the crowd and I was like, ooh, this is my tribe here in this room of 300 people. And um, it turned out it was this woman who runs her company is called Dream University. And she'd been on Oprah and the whole bit. And she, me going through this with her helped me identify all my fears. And the smartest thing she ever did lesson to anybody who's listening to this that is ever going to run a seminar or a group of some kind if you're going to pair people up you make it be strangers they can't be with right so i could be so vulnerable mm -hmm. because this person in front of me was a stranger and i yeah. just like right could have tears running down my face as i'm talking to her and in the morning and in the afternoon it was two different strangers but while they're I'm like listing every fear and then I have a response to every fear. And, you know, my fears were, I think what anybody's fears would be. I can't afford it. What if I can't do it? What if I can't make it through school? What if I make it through school and I don't like it? What if I make it through school and I'm not good at it or I don't earn enough money? What if are people gonna think that I've done a million things in my life and now I'm moving into yet another one? Like, am I just this flaky, can't stick to anything? Is that their view of me? What, I know that if I go into therapy, I am never gonna make much money. Um, am I okay with that? Like all of these fears. And I had, it turns out like I had an answer for every single one because I really felt like this was the right thing for me, right? When something is right, there's all the synchronicity. Yeah. Like it's like dominoes, right? So, you know, what if I'm too old? Who says how old you can be? You know, that's just stupid. What, but I can't afford it, but I'll find a way. I'll find a way. What will people think? I have to stop caring what people think. If this is what I'm supposed to be doing, I need to do it no matter what. I, like it felt like a calling at this point, right? What if I'm no good at it? I know I'm going to be good at it. Like I just, I inherently knew I was going to be a good therapist, mm -hmm. you know? Um, you know, I just had a response for everyone. So then I'm going to tell you just a moment about the synchronicity. So the next day, no, so I go home and I'm like on the computer looking for programs, right? And I'm looking for social worker programs. At the time, I did not know the difference between a social worker and a therapist. And the social work school had just closed enrollment. And I'm like, what? I just made this big decision. No, like my, my world is falling. Let me just see what else is still in open enrollment. And the school of therapy was, and then I'm reading the difference between the two of them. And I'm like, oh my God, I never wanted to be a social worker in the first place. That's not what I want to do. I don't want to do case management, you know? And thank goodness the enrollment was closed, right? So I apply, I get full student loan eligibility. And the next day, I see another thing on Facebook. Somebody is looking for a part-time program creator. I call her immediately, like the number was in the post. I call, I said, hi, this is Beth Koritz. And I, and she interrupted me and she said, oh, Beth, I know exactly who you are. I'd love to talk to you about this job. Come in and meet with me. And, but like, you, I could... <laughs> I didn't even know what to say. She interrupted my spiel. And I, <laughs> like, 
how do you know who I am? Like I couldn't, yeah. recover, I couldn't even recover from that. You know, I go in, I meet with her, I get the job, the hours are flexible. I can make them whatever I want so I can study at the same time. You know, it was perfection. I love that. Like when you make a decision and then the universe comes in and it's like, all right, cool. I'm glad you made that decision here. Mm-hmm. I'm here to help you. Like it, I deleted yeah. all my dating apps in 2020, mm-hmm. like February, 2020. I was like, I'm done with this. I'm done with assholes. Like I'm going to meet somebody in real life, which a thing that I had never done. Mm-hmm. I was a chronic online dater and Within days, my favorite bar uh, posted that they were going to have speed dating. (laughs) And so I signed up for speed dating and just celebrated uh, one year in the house that I co-bought with my partner. Oh my gosh, congratulations. Thanks. I love that. We've been together going on three years and we met at speed dating. That's awesome. Yeah, I love I was just like, no, I'm not doing it anymore. Universe. And the universe was like, okay, here you go. I was right. waiting. I was waiting for you to be ready. Yeah. I made fantastic. this for you. And I'm like, thank you universe. He's perfect. That's awesome. Now I'd like to go back and touch on something else you said about feeling like you're doing something forever. Right. I tell all my clients, the job you're looking for is not your last job. It's your next job. The school you decide to go to, you don't have to graduate from. You can transfer, right? Nothing is permanent. Mm -hmm. So don't be afraid to try something. Trying and having it not work out is not a failure. It's an elimination. Yeah. Right? Yeah. The way I put that is that the goal police do not jump out of the bushes and beat you with a stick. Like I teach adjustable goals. Like if you're working on a goal and it sucks, please stop. Please don't do things that you hate, which is why I was so curious and had to ask you like, how did you write a book when you hated the process? Cause it's a lot of work. It is a lot. I just got so far down the rabbit hole. Yeah. I think that you also really strategically used help. Yes. Oh, someone to take your, your verbal story and turn that into a word document that you could then go in and flesh out and then an editor worth their weight in gold. Like a good editor is fantastic. Right. Did you self-publish or are you traditionally published? I self-published. And it's a bestseller. Yeah. It, it, uh, debuted as a bestseller and stayed there for, you know, a couple of weeks. Wow. I mean, no, no, no book, unless you're like a Stephen King or somebody is going to stay there for a couple of weeks, but yeah. the financially, um, my, my editor was also going to publish it. And I kept asking her like, what are you going to do to sell the book? And you da, 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 da. And, um, I wasn't getting such great answers, but she was going to take 25% of everything that sold. Yeah. And I'm like, but I'm going to be marketing it personally. And, you know, so I just decided she actually, as I was doing more and more research and I was saying, you know, are you going to do this? And you're going to do that. She said, you know, Beth, that seems like at this point, you know, as much as I do, and maybe you should just do this yourself <laughs> because I think what she was saying was, I don't want you on my back. <laughs> the whole time. You know, I don't, your expectations might be more than I can handle. That could be a blessing. It, it, yeah, it was. Yeah. But more work. <laughs> a little more work. Yes. But, you know, those clear boundaries, I think, it probably is. help. It, it did help. And, you know, not to like toot my own horn, but I was um, on a panel that we have the Jewish Book Festival in St. Louis is one of the biggest in the country. And they chose my book. And they chose me to be, um, there were, they chose 10 and there were three featured and I was one of the featured. So I got to speak, you know, at a, an event and I sold out my books there and it was, I love doing this because I can reach more people, right? That's why I enjoy doing podcasts and speaking about the book. 
I'm coaching because I can reach more people. As a therapist, you're limited to your state. Yes. You know, so I've coached people around the world and that is fun. Yeah, that's really cool. Where are you based? I'm in St. Louis. Okay. Awesome. Not too far. Right in the middle. Yeah. I'm in Ohio. So, you know. Oh yeah. Close. Yeah. Not too far away. It's, you know, Ohio, but the cost of living is cheap. Yeah. St. Louis isn't bad either. I go to Ohio every year for a music festival. Oh, what music festival? Uh, Dark Star Jubilee. I know nothing about it. Mm, it's okay. I don't know why I asked because I was going to know nothing about any music festival that you named because I don't go to music festivals, but I love that you do. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Let me just collect myself because I was like, yeah. where's the music festival? <laughs> why did I ask? I don't know. Okay. I'm cool. I'm good. I'm collected. So let's jump over onto the people pleasing track. And I posted in like a podcast collab group and listed off a few topics that I wanted some people to speak on. And you raised your hand for people pleasing. So why did that topic jump out? Well, because you can't be authentic if you're always people pleasing, you lose your authenticity then. You know, you are morphing every time, you know, as that social chameleon kind of vibe. Exactly. Exactly. So and with- you're sacrificing often, not always, but, you know, okay, tomorrow, my brother asked me and sister-in-law asked me if I could pick the kids up from school and I could have called a client and asked to change the time of her session and, you know, to, to but but I, and I might have 10 years ago, Mm -hmm. you know, but this time I was like, sorry, you know, I'm not going to compromise my integrity as a therapist to help you out. But I also know she would have switched with no problem. Yeah. Right. But my integrity was more important than pleasing them. That makes sense. That's, it's good boundaries too. I find that authenticity and boundaries really need to coexist because the people pleasing is a lack of boundaries. I ran into this at work in my last job, my last full-time job, which I quit to become a full-time coach. So our new manager started and I wanted him to succeed. And so I was like going kind of above and beyond to like give him information and be like, that's not going to work. Like here's why. And I was sort of catching him up on things that I knew as someone who had been at the company for years. And at around like six months, I decided he should know things now. And so I basically quit like babysitting him. And I started saying no to his ridiculous asks. And before I would kind of roll my no and like, oh, you know, I don't think that's such a good idea because this and this and this. And then at this point I was just like, no, I can't do that. Or no, I don't think that we should do that. And I was manager level. He was above me, but I was still manager level. And he got very angry. He was pissed. He was like, you're being insubordinate. Like we're really having some conflicts here and being able to give my notice to him was incredible because that was not a good working relationship. And I had really I was, yeah, mm-hmm. my boundaries, when they went up, they went up way too late. They should have been up very early mm-hmm. and I should have been very clear about like, here's where I'm at. I am willing to talk to you about X, Y, Z thing, but like, you really got to like, kind of get your shit together here. Like <laughs> if you're going to run a department, you need to understand how everybody in the department works. Like I can't be walking around behind you, like your personal assistant being like, you can't ask them for that. That's not what they do, but the damage was done. Yeah. The people pleasing had gone on too long. The boundaries were way too late. And so that came across as me being combative and rude and inappropriate at work when really it was how I should have been acting the entire time. Right. So yeah, people pleasing and boundaries hand in hand. They do. And, you know, authenticity and boundaries go hand in hand. Um, the 
people pleasing is it's just all about acceptance. <laughs> I've also seen people pleasing described as part of the fawning trauma response. So yeah. people pleasing is a great way to avoid harm when you had a traumatic childhood. So like part of the reason I'm so good at anticipating everybody's needs and noticing when your mood shifts two degrees cooler and I'm like, oh, do you need a snack? Can I get you anything? Are you okay? Can I, can I help out here? So, because I don't want you to take out whatever just pissed you off on me in 10 minutes. That's a therapy thing that's over here in therapy world, mm -hmm. but people pleasing in my experience comes from trauma response as well, mm -hmm. as well as just sort of losing touch with authenticity. And I think that trauma makes us lose touch with authenticity as well, because sure. Right. Like I couldn't be a wild and free child and find myself because I was really busy staying safe. Right. Right. So that and definitely trauma, impacts trauma. Like there's big T and little T traumas, right? Trauma can be not having a lot of friends as a little girl, mm -hmm. you know? And so wanting to not upset any of the friends that you have as an adult out of fear of having no friends. Yeah. Right? You have a small friend circle, although introverts as an introvert, I also have a small friend circle, but still I'll never forget when I invited somebody to do something like that I had tickets for and they said, no, thanks. And I was like, what? <laughs> Just no, thanks. <laughs> you can do that. Yeah. That's wild. Cause I would be like, Oh, I'll, I'll have to check. I'll, I'll have to see. Can I think about it and get back to you? That would be incredible to just be like, no, thank you. I would be like, yeah. Thinking, Oh God, I hate this person. Like, I, I mean, I hate like the act we were going to see or something. Yeah. Not like, Oh no, I hate my friend. How dare they invite me? No, I have no interest in this show, but but sure, I'll go because if I say no, what if they don't ask again? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. But when when you are authentically yourself and you don't have shame around that, you can just be like, you know, that's not my thing. No, thanks. Yeah. But thanks for thinking of me. Yeah. And I hope you ask me again. Yeah. Yeah. It's I think that's simple. great. That's great as an introvert. That's great as an autistic person. That's great as a traumatized kid. Like that's great on so many levels. Just be able to be like, Hey, thank you. Not today. Yeah. But like, ask me next time. Yeah. So I'm trying to think, okay, more people pleasing aspects. Oh, I'll give you my biggest. Oh yeah. Biggest. Yes. Um, I was engaged to be married. Um, it was going to be my second wedding and as it got closer and closer, I was knowing with more and more certainty, I should not do this. And I remember about three days before I'm driving down the highway and I, I can remember to this day what piece of highway I was on, like to the car length. And I thought if somebody would just tell me I don't have to go through with it, I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. So first I needed the validation, right? That what I was thinking was okay. And then I thought, but all of these friends of mine, like have already bought their plane tickets and they're flying out tomorrow to be here in two days, right? I can't do that to these people. You know, I have this whole everything going in 48 hours. I can't do that. It would be so humiliating, right? All these things. So I went into a marriage that I shouldn't have been in. I mean, that's a big one. I did that also. Like I even have a stretch of highway in my wedding like thing. Um, the stretch of highway was my dad on the phone telling me that he had, uh, he had paid in all that he could and that I was on my own for the rest of it. And it was like a month to go. And like the whole time he had been like, oh, you only get married once if everything goes right. So, you know. Don't even, don't worry about it. I got it. I got it. And I had been pressing him for a number. I'm like, how much can I count on you for so that I can plan things? Mm -hmm. And he's like, just don't worry about it. And then he hit a limit and was like, yeah, I'm out. And I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> but, um, 
Yeah. I was, I was literally at my wedding, like putting table decorations or signs or something together. And I was like, I wish I wasn't doing this. This doesn't feel right. I actually, and this is in my book too. I got a black spot, a big spot on my nose that was black as night out of nowhere. Out of nowhere. I went to a, um, a dermatologist and they're like, well, we'd have to biopsy it. And I'm like, well, I'm getting married in seven days. I don't think I can have a big ass bandage on my nose. And I had my friend who was doing my makeup, like apply makeup, like it was spackle on my nose to cover it. And a cousin comes up to me at the party afterwards. And it's like, you have dirt on your nose. Like my whole body revolted. Yeah. At the point, like the nose, you know how they say it's as clear as the nose on your face. Mm -hmm. Did it anyway. Dang. That would never happen. I mean, not only would that never happen now, I would have never even gotten to that point with this person. So I take it that you're divorced. Yeah. (laughs) I'm also in the two divorces club. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I found myself wishing, um, like maybe I could just ask the officiant to like not file it. And I would just keep that secret that we weren't actually married. (laughs) Boy, when you're doing those mental gymnastics, right? who am I getting married for? Yeah. And look, I think, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, sorry. I'm just marinating in my life choices. I think that the important message that you and I are trying to get out, and I think it's worth actually like laying out, okay, is that we're not telling our stories to entertain, right? We're telling our stories to show that no matter where you are in your life, you also can make this change. Yeah. Right. I mean, we all have shit. Now, here's one of the big fears about becoming authentic. And it's a legit fear is that as you grow into your real self and into the life that you are meant to be living, you can lose people along the way. Yeah. And, you know, that keeps a lot of people stuck. It really does, because the fear of losing those relationships is a lot. Yeah, that keeps a lot of people stuck. And, you know, I don't want to be glib about this because it's a big deal. But you have to understand that you are sacrificing what your life can and is supposed to be for a relationship, whether it's a friendship or an intimate partnership or but it's a relationship built on inauthenticity. Yeah. A relationship that is not built on a strong foundation to begin with. Yeah. That's kind of important to keep in mind because if, if that wasn't really you, you know, it was part you, it was you playing the part of, the the dutiful wife or whatever that person wanted friend yeah Mm -hmm. that was really hard for me after my divorce my second divorce when I left my abusive ex um I had a best friend who helped me get through all of it and we ended up dating for a while um me and my best friend but as I was sort of establishing these new boundaries and I was changing a lot and she didn't like when the boundaries applied to her and that, that hurt a lot that, you know, you, you were so excited for me to like stand up for myself against him, but I can't stand up for myself against you. Like if I do that, I'm shitty. I'm being a shitty partner because I'm not just all sunshine and rainbows and unicorn farts all the time for you. Right. And that, that was really hard. That was a pretty short-lived relationship, but the, the ending of a multi-year friendship was the, the hard part of that. So yeah, I've definitely lived that, that authentic as you kind of expand and take up more space for your energy. Yeah. You allow yourself more to 
You allow yourself to take up more space. We no longer are small. Yeah. Right. We no we take longer up a lot of space. Ourselves like, small. Right. Yeah, exactly. People can't see us, but we're like filling up our room. We're dancing. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, we, especially women, I have been told for decades and decades to make ourselves small mm -hmm. and we're damn good at it. Oh yeah. You know, it takes time to become comfortable taking up space. It does. I once was called unobtrusive and I thought it was the best compliment I had ever received. <laughs> and now if somebody told me that, I'd be like, oh, how? <laughs> like I'm literally so loud and so like I have bright red glasses and a bunch of face piercings and platinum blonde hair. Like, how did you miss this? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, a synonym for unobtrusive is invisible. Yeah. I think, I mean, yeah, close enough in the dictionary that way, but yeah, should, you know, yeah. And God, I just, there's nothing more freeing. It frees your mind. It frees your soul. It like free, you feel it in the cells of your body to be fully authentic in any given situation, to not dress like everybody else if that doesn't feel good on you. Yeah. Right. To say no or to turn left when everybody else is turning right. And you're okay with it because left looks goddamn good to you. Yeah. Right. One of the biggest ways I shifted this was with body positivity. I used to like my whole life's purpose was to lose weight. I was trying to lose 150 pounds and I lost a hundred and I looked sick as hell. And when you look at photos of me, I look like if you said good morning to me, I would burst into tears because I wasn't sleeping. I wasn't eating near enough. I had a full, like full blown eating disorder and was exercising way more than I should have been for the amount of food I was eating, but it was all about shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and taking up less and less and less space physically, emotionally, spiritually. I was a shell. And when I started eating disorder recovery, the first thing you do is stop restricting. I don't diet anymore. I do not restrict. So like if I wanted cake for breakfast, I would eat it. Turns out I don't want cake for breakfast. I want eggs like every day. I love eggs, <laughs> mm -hmm. but I have gained weight because that's what a body does after you starve it. And yeah. I am now the heaviest I've ever been, but also I've never smiled like this. Yeah. Like my presence, I'm just full. I'm vibrant and I'm happy to take up space. Yeah. And it just hits different. And like, yeah, I'm annoyed that like the world doesn't like to see me like this. And I'm like, well, fuck you. I'm wearing a crop top to pride. Like, look at my belly. I don't care what you think. Yeah. And that's great. And I love, I love me. That's awesome. You know, I, um, I think that health at, health at every size and intuitive eating is becoming more and more mainstream. I think so too. Right. Then when I became certified in it, oh my gosh, like seven years ago, eight, eight years ago, mm -hmm. not so much, right. It was just starting yeah. to be, um, you know, words that people had heard before, you know? Yeah. Oh, I have one little brag. Ooh, do it. <laughs> Elise Resch, who is like, you know, the founder, the co-founder of Intuitive Eating, wrote all like the very first Bibles and still does on intuitive eating. All right. Um, wrote a blurb for the back of my book. <gasps> That's dope. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. I was pretty excited about that one. That's a pretty cool blurb. Yeah, because I just cold called her. Nice. You know, and said, I am uh, certified in body positivity and I'm going through your 
certification program? And would you read my book? And then if you felt it deserved a comment, that'd be so awesome. And yeah. then we can get pals. Nice. <laughs> like, I want to read your book. Yeah, I will have to send it to you. Thanks. You'll have to give me your address after this and I'll- Yeah, for sure. A, I'd love to read it because I think copy. I've had a memoir percolating. Right now I'm working on fiction, but I really, I think I want to do a memoir and I want to, obviously I need to read more memoir. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Yeah, that'd be great. I can send you a copy of mine too. It's about millennials. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I'd love that. Yeah. I have a daughter about your age who's also a therapist. In order, when I'm working with people on getting to know themselves and then on liking that person and then stepping into their authenticity for about a hundred percent of them, we have to go through body image issues. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, there's just not a person on earth. I used to say a woman on earth, but now I say a person because yeah it's really hit the other side of the population too, that doesn't have body image issues. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, so my podcast is primarily about creativity and like self-development and positivity and stuff like that. But I talk about body image all the time, like probably at least half the episodes Mm -hmm. I mention body positive something or other. And a a big thing about me, and this is also, I want to write a self-help book, but I want to write a self-help book that doesn't have any diet references. Right. Because it's so common for self-help books, like Rachel Hollis comes to mind. I hate her. Uh, She wrote Girl, Wash Your Face. Oh, right. Yeah. 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 And she directly states that fat people are untrustworthy because- they Where can't does that even come from because they can't stay accountable to their body and their diet and so therefore they are bad people and I'm like cool all right best selling asshole like I'm going to fight you with a better book and it's so you know that shit pisses me off because it's i mean not only is it ignorant and hateful and spiteful but it's just plain scientifically wrong correct you know so fuck her Yes. Fuck her. Fuck Rachel Hollis. That's what this episode will be called. It probably won't, but <laughs> it could be the, the subtitle, the subtitle. Yeah. We'll be like, I love that. Yes. You body know, positivity, have... people pleasing and fuck Rachel Hollis. Yeah. I have read a plethora of, um, IE books, right. And Hayes books. And I think you have to read the right one at the right time. Mm-hmm. But my favorite and um, it, it just didn't say anything I didn't already know, but it was the way she said it was the unfuck it diet. No, not the unfuck it diet, the fuck, the it, fuck diet. it diet. Hang on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That one. This is the yeah. book that got me into recovery. Right? It's the best. We yeah. should all be getting commission right now. But it yeah. is the best. It's so funny. And yeah. I loved her writing style. And yeah. th- she did teach me a lot that I didn't already know. So yeah. for anybody who hasn't heard me talk about it, this is The Fuck It Diet by Caroline Dooner. She is thin. I just want to let people know she's a thin person writing about health at every size. Um, because I do like to promote fat people writing about health at every size and uplift those voices as well. But this book is fire. (laughs) It's so good. Yeah. It's, it just, it just got me going in a way, all the other books, you know, I mean, other times another book's going to do it for you. You know, it just depends where you are in your life that week, you know? Yeah. But yeah. It's so fun. And I recommended this to my friend as well. Um, her name is Sarah. She's probably listening. Hey, Sarah, but she refers to it as the Dooner book and she sends copies to her friends all the time. That's great. And she credits me with helping her unpack a lot of her own fat phobia. So she is, um, thinner. She's very fit, um, very athletic and was recently like within the last few years diagnosed with type one diabetes. And so she will type one, I think I'm pretty sure type one. Maybe type two. I don't know. 
diabetes. It's weird, creepy. They have that diagnosis as an adult. That's true. So maybe it is type two. But the fact that she is so athletic and slimmer, she she will fight somebody. She fights doctors all the time. She will fight anybody who associates fat with um, diabetes. And she's like, no, it's not true. And I honestly think that our friendship and my own ED journey mm-hmm. really helped her process that that diagnosis mm-hmm. and the fact that, you know, she does have to track some carbs, but she can do it in a non-triggering non-ED way. Mm-hmm. And that she really self-advocates in the doctor's office. She's like, no, it feels wrong. Like just run the blood work. Like something's wrong. And I want to figure out what specifically is wrong. And she's just so aware and in her body. Mm-hmm. And I love that for her, for That's everybody, awesome. but yeah, I- I have a therapy client who is type one and um, I got her to uh, have a pack of cookies in her house. (laughs) You know, I mean, she had been just depriving herself her whole life Mm -hmm. and diabetes and health at every size can totally go together. Yeah. You you don't have to live as in um, a state of total restriction and denial denying yourself things that you see as like delicious like like gratifyingly splendid I can't hear my dog I can but it's fine okay yeah and you know and then this is a whole nother topic for another day but as people with ADHD eating is hard yeah it is. Eating I wasn't hard. I was not hungry today for lunch, but I made myself eat something because yesterday I wasn't hungry for lunch and then I almost passed out at four. Yeah. It's too it it's work that paralyzes our ADHD brain mm-hmm. in that moment. So I mean I, I'm I'm gonna be 60 in a couple months and I'm still trying to figure this out. Yeah. Food stuff is so steeped in diet culture, and then there's ADHD stuff around the food. So, like with I have Carl, my eating disorder also with the ADHD. And sometimes he's like, Hey, hey, yeah, there's ADHD. Why don't you just not eat lunch? And I have to be like, fuck off, Carl. I have to eat. And then I eat, but it's like, I don't, I just work right through. Cause I'm not hungry. I do typically get the hunger signals, but not always. Yeah. Eventually it kicks in and I'm like, Oh shit. What time is it? Which yeah. speaking of what time is it is we are, we're at our time. So okay. <laughs> I don't want to keep you too long. So why don't you tell us a bit about where we can find you online and what, what you're offering right now? That would be great. So you can find me online at yourclarity.coach. And yep. And my email is Beth at yourclarity.coach. Right now, and you really, you said something at the beginning that I, would love to come back and talk to you about. But right now I am focusing only on one-to-one clients. You talked about like slowing down and healing mm-hmm. at the beginning. I am in that zone right now. Okay. So I'm not doing any launches or running any programs. I'm just doing one-on-ones right now. All right. I love that for you. And I love yeah. that you recognize that you needed that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing the same. I'm about to launch a 12 month writing incubator program. Wow. And I'm super pumped about it. And I'm going to make that sort of my, my main offer right now, because it's like, awesome. yeah, it's like in the middle of like my lowest cost offer. And then the, the one-on-one I'm like, no, this is right in the middle. It's great. It's going to be tasty. So that sounds awesome for somebody who likes to write. (laughs) Yes, it does. Not you. I will not see you there because you do not want to write a book. Done that. Been there, yeah. done that. No, but I'd love to come back and talk to you about so many other things. Yeah, let's do this Anytime. again for sure. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. This was a really fun conversation. I think we have a lot in common. We do. A lot of life experience that echoes each other, even though we're, we've got a 25-year age gap. You know, that's never meant anything to me. Yeah. I've always been like any age gap, I can immediate relate to and have rapport with. So good. Yeah. Means nothing. I love that. I loved meeting you and your energy is amazing. Thank you. Yeah. I don't need that external validation, but I received <laughs> it. 
<laughs> and I appreciate it. And okay. yes, your energy is also flawless. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. This was lovely. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode and spending this time with me today. I would love to keep in touch personally to keep the energy flowing. The place to be is my email list. So check out the link in the show notes to get on the list for weekly pep talks and the latest ways to up-level your creative confidence. You'll get some free goodies too. Until next time, remember to drink water and do something fun today.